Let us pray. Dear Almighty, loving Father in heaven, the more we learn of your wonderful world, the more we see of your beautiful creation, the more we hear of the sounds of your creation, the more we taste the flavors of your creation, the more we smell the odors of your creation, the more and deeper grows our love for you. Thank you, dear Father, for allowing us, or rather for sharing with us, the wonders of your awesome creation. Thank you for your Son, Jesus, and all he means to us. Thank you for having brought us here to this meeting this morning to remember together your amazing love. We have come to be near you, and we thank you for your peace. We have also come to praise you and to bow down and confess our wrongdoings. Please help us to give you pleasure this morning with this service. Through our Mediator, your Son, our Savior Jesus, do we ask again for forgiveness. Please hear our prayer and accept our humble words of praise, thanks, and adoration. For Jesus' sake. Amen. As I mentioned, Mary's out of hospital and with us this morning. It's great to see you, Mary. Um, she's been greatly encouraged by the positive attitude at Christie's, um, where she begins treatment in a week or two. Before that, she has various tests, so please phone before, the, before visiting, as um, she will be in and out of hospital this week. Um, sadly, Gladys collapsed during the week and ended up in the MRI. She is now um, in ward AM1, which is an acute medical ward. Um, it's believed at the moment that she needed treatment because of a combination of a diabetes and pneumonia, um, but she is now stable and alert and able to receive visitors. The more the merrier, apparently. Please check visiting times with the hospital before you go, um, and please let's keep Gladys in our prayers. Um, she was very grateful to know the church was praying for her and uh, said she could feel it as she slept a lot better, which is nice. Um, some sad news, a sister at Worthing, some of you may know, Joy Matthews, um, who has uh, been an ardent supporter of Hoddesdon and the care committee. Um, she fell asleep this week after a few weeks in hospital uh, where she was at peace and um, I'm looking forward to meeting Jesus. Uh, it was lovely to share an evening of music last night. We're very aware that some of our more poorly members and, uh, and John in Congo as well would dearly love to have, um, have had that pleasure too and been there. Um, the beautiful sound of voices praising God was very special and it was wonderful to have so many friends join us. There were loads of visitors. Um, we're very grateful to Kate and the choir for such a great evening. Another opportunity for sharing time together is Grasmere weekend on the July the 10th, uh, and there are still some places left uh, in the communal room, so please speak to either Rosie or Andrew if you would like to uh, join us on that weekend. I'm going to give the pastoral prayer in a moment. Are there any uh, other things people would like us to pray for? If you just um, remain seated, we'll uh, pray together. Dear Father, we thank you for um, the fact that we can be here this morning together and meet as your family. We're very conscious of uh, your care in our lives, and even those of us who, uh, those of our family who are not particularly well at the moment, we know that you care for them and that you are with them. We pray for your special blessing this morning on those of us who aren't here. Um, help them to know 
the closeness of, of your presence and of your love uh, and help them to know that we are thinking of them and praying for them as well. So we think of um, Gladys and we think of John and Marion. Um, we want to pray for Julia's dad who's having his operation this week and for Neil Sutcliffe who's not well, for Sylvia's brother who's not well. Help them to know uh, your healing if that's your will and help them to know your love and closeness. We pray for Mary um, who is with us but uh, over the next few weeks um, we pray that you'll hold her in the palm of your hand and uh, and bless her richly and Jack as well. Uh, we pray for your blessing on, on the new babies and the, the young families that we have here and also for uh, our expectant mothers. And uh, I'd like to pray, Father, as well for Stephen and Pam Lang and Mike and Wendy Tanner in, as they do your work in Malta, um, extending their care to the church there and uh, in the preaching of your gospel. We pray that you'll bring them back safely to us. Father, please bless all the the things that we are doing as your family here in Old Trafford, in your name, um, give us courage and strength in our preaching and give us compassion in our uh, in the other activities that, that we do with the children and, uh, and with other people in this community. Help us to shine your light and spread your gospel around. And Father, most of all, we pray uh, for the soon return of your Son, the Lord Jesus, so that um, all these problems that we think about and all the, the terrible things we see on the news every day that they will come to an end and we can uh, look forward to your eternal kingdom. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Neil. We will now read from the daily readings according to our plan. And Rosie will read for us Isaiah chapter 45 and David Webborn, Revelation chapters 1 and 2. Good morning, everybody. Um, before I start my talk, I've just got something that I'd really like to say, and that's just over the uh, past month, uh, just for all the support from uh, all you people out there and people who are not here this morning, um, it's just been fantastic. So just thank you very much. This morning, we're going to be led by the um, first few chapters of Revelation. Um, mostly Revelation chapter 1, which we read today, which is one of the readings from the reading plan for today. So that, coming in at verse 1, it goes like this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants what must soon take place. And also in, in verse 19, a bit later on, it says uh, something that's a bit uh, related to that, which is, write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. So as, as we follow this passage, as we read it together, we have to remember that although the, the pictures are sort of images and visions, that it's not just an abstract picture. It's not just a some Lord of the Rings sci-fi writing. Um, it's a vision about real things. It's a vision about things that are now and about things that will take place later. And also, these things that 
things that are now and that will take place later. They're things that are very, very important to us. They're things that, that we, um, we're a part of, in a way. So it says in, in, in verse 3, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. Because the time is near. So these, these very real things that are now and are to happen, we're not supposed to be reading this and intellectually trying to make, because it's a bit encoded and a bit vision, it's quite, maybe we can get a bit interested in trying to decipher what it all means, but it can never be just left as an intellectual exercise. We have to take to heart the things written in the book. That's what it says right before you get started at all. It's really important. And it's very urgent, isn't it? The words, it says, remember, the time is near. It's got a lot of urgency about it. So I, I felt that it was appropriate for our remembrance service this morning. Um, remembering what has been done for us, that this chapter of Revelation, in particular uh, chapter 1 of Revelation, uh, would be very appropriate. Um, we're going to stay mostly in chapter 1, but I'm going to jump around a l- just a little bit to things that are directly related that give a bit more detail. In, in the first chapter of Revelation, almost like written between the lines, you, you, if you first read it, you might miss some of the things that I'm going to highlight to you today, I think. They're sort of like hidden in introductions and uh, just names of who people are before it talks about something. Um, but there's a very clear portrayal of who God is and of who Jesus is, what his title is and what his role is. And this perspective is, re- is a really big picture. And they're not fine details about something that happened or it's a real, real big picture of who Jesus is and who God is. And one of the things I really like about these passages is that although the the subject matter is truly massive, I don't actually think the subject matter, I don't think there is a bigger, more important, more significant subject matter than what this is talking about. Um, But the book is addressed on a personal level. Um, It's it's designed to be read by, by us, by the believer. And it's written personally to the, the churches, the seven churches in Asia as we read. Um, and as in, it says in verse 1, uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must take place. It's for us. It's, it's all geared for us to listen to. It starts with a greeting from God and Jesus. And in that greeting, it's sort of this big picture comes through about who God and Jesus are. In verse 4, it says, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us, 
and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. I don't know if when you read, because Revelation is quite a big uh, book and we read a couple of chapters today, it's almost like you can, oh, it's from God and it's from Jesus and then the next bit. And you might miss from God who is and it explains a very nice summary of who God is and, and of Jesus too. And we see in this very short passage and also a bit later in more detail in the coming chapters that Jesus' death and resurrection is like a pivot point. It's something really big has happened because of Jesus' death and resurrection. And these are his achievements. These are Jesus' credentials, if you like. He loves us. He has freed us from our sin by his blood. And he has given a place, given us a place of undeserved honour and responsibility. Given us into priests and, and kings, it says. Priests and kings we've become to serve God. And for, for these credentials, for the things he's done, Jesus is given glory. So and some of these, uh, this turning point about Jesus' death and resurrection, um, and about his blood, the very in introduction level in chapter 1, they zoomed in a bit, in a bit more detail in chapters 4 and 5, which are some of my most favourite passages um, in all of the Bible. I like things that are very dramatic. And they are very dramatic. So um, I'd just like to take a quick look, just an overview of those um, chapters that present a bit more of a zoomed-in view of what Jesus has done. In chapter 4 of Revelation, uh, hope, hope, I'm just is very overviewing. If, because this is coming up in the daily reading, I'm hoping that you're all going to go and, ooh, I'll be interested to read more about what Mike was talking about. But I'm going to be very, very... Um, quick. Chapter 4, I think it's just an overview, it's a picture of our majestic God, worthy of all honour and worshipped continually by God's people and, and by all of heaven. For example, in, in verse 11 of chapter 4 it says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honour and power because you created all things. And they came into existence and were created because of your will. So, in my mind, chapter 4, it's like a symbolic picture of the universe, the state of the universe, before Jesus. Or as if before, uh, with Jesus not in the picture. And in chapter, in chapter 5, the same picture develops, evolves, as the Lamb comes on the scene. The Lamb is Jesus. And this, as I said, chapter 5 shows us what happens to the universe and everybody in the universe uh, 
when the Lamb comes on the scene um, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And just one example, like I said, I'm going through this very quickly. Uh, in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, it says this about the Lamb, about Jesus. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slaughtered. With your blood, you purchased people for God from every tribe, language, people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests for our God and they will reign on the earth. The Lamb is worthy. He is worthy because of what he's done, because of what he's achieved. And the passage, um, Revelation chapter 5, the vision, that part of the vision, finishes up with the same elders and the same heavenly creatures who have worshipped God in the previous chapter, who worship God continually. They also worship the Lamb. And in fact, God is worshipped more on account of the Lamb. Because now it's not just the creatures in heaven. It's every creature who worships God and the Lamb. And the praise for God and the praise for Jesus, it's in the same breath. And the list of praise, praises and the language used, it's the same for God and for Jesus. For example, in verse 13 it says this, then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing. It's dramatic, isn't it? To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. You, you might think, some people think, that the book of Revelation, because it's lots of pictures and visions, um, that maybe because there it's in visions that it's unclear, that um, it makes the subject matter a bit removed and a bit dim and clouded from view that you have to decode somehow. Um, and while I have to admit I do tend to get that feeling when we progress a bit further into the chapters that talk about the future, about the things that are to come, I really don't think that applies to the things that are now. These first beginning chapters of Revelation, they just feel so clear. For example, if we look at the very different and distinct portrayal of, of the Lamb and the one who sits on the throne of Jesus and God. I don't know if it's just, it's very succinct, but the, for me, the clarity is just really, really nice. Um, for example, it says God is given honour because he created the world, because of his power and his will. And Jesus is given honour for very different reasons, for very distinct, separate um, reasons. Jesus is given honour because he was slain and because of what he's achieved for us. 
And another example of the, the clarity and almost like the accuracy of these little visions we're given is in chapter 5 and verse 13. That we just read before, um, or, or that I just read. Um, then I heard every creature in heaven and earth and under the earth and the sea and all that is in them singing, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power. And I just think even the fact that God is praised first and then Jesus I don't know, they're, just, they're both given the same praise, but God is praised first. And I think, I don't know, it just feels like a real, just every word and everything about it is just perfect. It just feels right when you take it in consideration with the rest of the Bible. It's like a nice little picture, an accurate vision. And if we were to turn aside for a moment from the clear vision in Revelation to the muddled philosophies of um, various believers throughout history. Um, To me, it seems that some of us have got very confused about who God is and about who Jesus is and mixed up the separate roles and the separate identities of who God and Jesus are. That's happened a lot. And maybe other people, in reaction to some muddled views, have come out with other muddled views that relegate Jesus that say, no, he's not like God at all, and demote Jesus' position. And I think these passages give us a a beautiful, dramatic, big picture of who God is and of who Jesus is. A nice place to come to to help us focus on what has been done for us this morning as we remember our Lord. Just as a, as a tiny aside, I, um, a few people think that the book of Revelation is actually written much, much later than lots of the other writings in the, in the New Testament. And I was just wondering whether this clarity, this attention to detail, was just the words just been right. Um, I wonder, in my mind, I was wondering if it was sort of to undo some of the confused ideas that were creeping into the early church. Just as an idea tell me if I'm dreadfully wrong on that afterwards. But of course, Revelation isn't the only place where this story is told. The exact same message is found elsewhere in the Bible. Um, as it says in Colossians, he is the head of the body, the church, talking about Jesus. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It's the same picture, isn't it? It's the same story we're looking at in Revelation. Another place where where it talks about this same story, these credentials of who Jesus is, is in Philippians chapter 2. It talks about Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name 
of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's the same story, isn't it? That because of his blood and his sacrifice and his humility, Jesus is worthy of honour. Jesus is worthy of being obeyed as Lord because he himself is obedient to God, to his Lord. And any glory given to Jesus is also to God's glory and honour. Honour given to Jesus does not detract in any way from God's glory and honour. Why? Because when you see what Jesus achieved, you're really looking at what God achieved. When you hear Jesus' words, you're really hearing God's words. Even the way that Jesus said things comes from God. Uh, In John chapter 12, it says this, Jesus says this, For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. When you find out what Jesus wants, you've really found out what what God wants. And when you feel loved by Jesus, you are also feeling God's love. Whatever is God's, we see it reflected in Jesus. Because of this, Jesus also reflects God's glory. I'd like us to come back to chapter 1 of Revelation. We've been, we've been looking at the what is now part of this uh, introduction to Revelation. We haven't really touched that much yet on the what, uh, what will take place soon, what will take place later. And these words that I'm about to read are the hope of the gospel. This is the thing that enables, um, as, it, as we read, um, the followers of Jesus through all ages to patiently endure. In verse 7, this is what it says. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Jesus is going to come back. I'd like to just give you a minute to think about what it's going to be like when he comes. To think about the things that will be made right in the world. To think about seeing him with your own eyes. To think about the experience that will be the whole world seeing our Lord. So I'm going to read that verse again and then I'm just going to be quiet for about a minute or something like that. Look, he is coming on the clouds, with the clouds. And every eye will see him. 
even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. The unfolding of the, of the vision of the future. And in verse, verse 12 of chapter 1 of Revelation, it kicks in with a little bit more detail. This uh, direct revelation that um, the writer of the book of Revelation had. I turned around, in verse 12, to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were like white wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. So what is now is that we see a sacrificial lamb, a vision of humility and love and of sacrifice. But the awesome vision of the future of who Jesus, well, of who Jesus will, will be, I think, I think will surprise us. Surprise us at least a little when he comes back. But Jesus is big enough to hold the two visions in each of his hands. To hold the cup of sacrifice and of suffering and of love in one hand. And in the other hand, to be the resolute bringer of justice that the world needs. I'd like to finish just by looking at some um, a very interesting little phrase that I, I spotted a while ago uh, in the book of Revelation. I don't know if you rem- I don't know if you remember. I wrote a little poem. I'm not don't usually write poems, but I wrote a poem that went in the newsletter about the um, called the A and the Z. Um, and it just started from this chapter in Revelation. So I'm sorry. I am going to read the poem again. I'm sorry about that. Um, In Revelation chapter 1, in verse 8, it says this. This is, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So this is God saying, I am the A and the Z. So Alpha is just the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega, the last letter of the Greek alphabet. God is just saying, I'm the A and the Z. The beginning and the end. And then in Revelation... uh, Oh yeah, this Alpha and Omega, it's a title that God gives to himself. And as far as I'm aware, it's only in the book of Revelation. Um... There's lots of similar things. I am the first and the last, beginning and the end and things, but this Alpha and Omega. 
And in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, it says this. Uh, in the vision when, that we just read, uh, when the writer saw Jesus. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. So it's very similar, isn't it? God saying, I am the A and the Z, and Jesus saying, I am the first and the last. And in Revelation chapter two, 22, at the end, um, Jesus says these words, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. And this is verse 13 of chapter 22. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Just, I found that really interesting and it made me think, oh, Jesus is... Because I always thought this phrase was talking about God and there it is, Jesus using the same phrase to describe himself. He's the beginning and the end. I guess it just means he's everything, doesn't it? I think the honour that we pay to Jesus or that is paid to Jesus um, and to God is not some abstract idea. Um, it's not something that happens just in big important times um, in grand events and occasions and dramatic occasions it happens all the time in your life it's not like when the national anthem stand, um, sounds and everyone stands up and it's just a rare occasion that doesn't even happen anymore um, not very often anyway the, the honour that is due to Jesus is far more practical and everyday and profound than that type of honour if we respect Jesus and honour him, then this become, he becomes the model our lives are based on. For Jesus, God was everything. God was the be beginning and the end. The A and the Z and all the little letters in between. That's how Jesus was able to achieve everything he did achieve. And it's a pattern for us to follow that God and Jesus are our A and our Z. Not just the A and the Z, our A and our, my A and my Z and all the letters in between, everything. So at this, this, is, this is where my poem comes in. Just The idea is that it just helps us to think about all the little aspects of our lives and is Jesus there and is God there in all the different parts of our lives. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, Jesus said. So he's the, I wonder is Jesus your A and Z? Is he your A, your adrenaline to keep you moving? If not, then maybe he should be there at your be your beginning. He's my comforter. But is he my decision maker? He is for everything. F is for faithful friend in it till the end. 
G is because he's my guardian. H is because he has my heart. He's my identity, integral to how I see myself. Is he your J, your joy in all situations? Is he your K, your king, worthy of your adorations? L, obviously the Lord, but is it obvious he's yours? M must mean Jesus is my motivation, moving me forward. N is for nerve. He gives me the nerve to see a difficult thing through. But after all that, he's still my ordinary moment. He gives me peace. He's the only qualification I'll ever need. Rush and rapture, and from the same place, held in the other hand, rest and refuge. S is my sanity. Jesus, you help me to keep it. Does he still give you a thrill? Is there still urgency in your relationship with him? Is he part of your vocabulary? But I hope Jesus isn't still asking you when. He gives me x-ray vision, the insight and the stomach to see with honesty what's inside, inside me. He's my yes and sometimes my yahoo. <laughs> and said, is the zest he adds to all our lives. So now we've done the whole alphabet. I hope it's helped you see. Is Jesus really your A and your Z? Thank you, Mike. Everything about God and Jesus are so profound and meaningful. It's just amazing and emotional. Mike got emotional when he was quoting Christ about Christ's return, which is so understandable. When um, a few months ago, I got just as emotional looking at the plant, looking at our vine in the garden. And the vine has been standing there, or growing there, for 25 years. And I spotted something which I'd never seen before. It's just like when you read the Bible. 20 times and you never seen spotted a particular meaning and this vine I just couldn't believe it how God spoke to me after 25 years um, the vine by pure coincidence now this is, a, this is God for you um, that's the shape of the bread we share today that is exactly the shape of the vine the size of an adult vine at its base. The vine at home is not round like that. It is like a double shot, double barrel shotgun, like two tubes. 
Rathans with Spark. When I saw that, it cracked me. <coughs> so I phoned my friend, who's a vintner in Germany, and I explained it to him. He said, well, that's quite normal. That was. 50% of all wines are like that, and 50% are aren't. Why is this? Well, when I told him that I immediately I looked at it spiritually. I thought, there's God walking with Jesus. And he said, oh, no, it's not like that. It's just nature. No. But there you are. It, was, it really rattled me. So before we share our emblems, Mike asked us to sing together from, from um, the hymn book 291. Crown him with many crowns, the Lamb upon his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem sounds, all music but his own. He's always there to help your heart. There's always room for improvement in our daily life. The way we manage our time, the way we speak, the way we behave. Let us fine-tune it and bear good food. Not any old food, but good quality one. Otherwise, Jesus will come to us and fight against us with the sword of his mouth. I'm sure we have all experienced moments of intense passion when we say to a baby or wife, or maybe even a husband or a very dear friend, I love you so much I could eat you. If that were possible. Now, if we have the same passion for our Lord Jesus, now is the time to indulge. And to allow you to give thanks for the bread. Our dear Lord Jesus, we, we pause now to to address you directly. We stop and we look on you who was pierced. We see that your body was broken for us. And we come to say thank you. Thank you that you showed us your love, the love of your Father, so clearly on that dreadful day. Lord, thank you for this bread that speaks to us, of being part of your body, connected to you as our head. We pray that you'll bless us as we share it in your name. Amen. Lord God our Father, we started our service this morning thinking about abiding in you, remaining in you. And here we are with all our faults and our shop-soiled faith and our blemishes and things ragged about our faith 
And yet this cup of wine speaks to us that you want to gather us in your arms. And you could eat us, Lord. You love us so much. And that's a wonderful thing. And we pray, Lord, as we take this cup of wine, we might be moved more to try and remain in you in the days that remain. This cup of wine that shouts out to us of the death of your Son and the worthiness of Jesus. The beginning and the end, the whole purpose of your love for us, of our redemption. It's a wonderful thing, Lord, and we thank you for this hope. So bless this wine to us and forgive us our faults and failings and thank you for accepting us as we are and help us to strive harder to remain in you as your special people, people who want to serve you on this earth at your Lord, at your Son's return. So hear our prayer, we pray through Jesus Christ and offer our thanks in his name. Amen. Let us now close by singing hymn number two. After the prayer. Our Lord, thou hast made to the heavens and the earth by thy great power. Dear Lord God, it has been a wonderful blessing again to meet together, to remember your love and the love of your dear Son Jesus, to share bread and wine in our church together. Nothing, absolutely nothing, is too difficult for you. You say the word, and it is done. Therefore, dear Father, please bring peace to Jerusalem, to Israel, and to the whole wide world. Help us to find our weaknesses and help us to become stronger and more faithful. And let us pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.